This week on One Body, Stewarding God's Creation, Cody Marincer talks about the domestic church. How do families image the Holy Trinity? Do our homes look Catholic? How can we better catechize our children? Well, let's find out. Cody is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. We're going to welcome in Cody Marinzer in his seventh year of teaching sophomore and senior religion at Thomas More Prep Marion High School. He also helps out with marriage and baptismal prep, teaching adult education at St. Nicholas of Myra. He's married to Karen, and they have seven children. Welcome in, Cody Marinzer. Good morning, Cody. Good morning. Thanks for having me here. It's always great to have you come in. Um, well, we're going to talk today about the domestic church. And um, first off, you know, we hear that term, and a lot of people may not know what the domestic church means. So what is meant by the domestic church? I think the best way to go about that is to really first talk about what do we mean by church. When people say the word church, you know, there's lots of different things you could be talking about. Uh, You could be talking about building. You could be talking about hierarchy of the church. You could be talking about the body of Christ. And so uh, maybe if we broke all of those down and looked at uh, how do each of those then apply to the family structure, because really that's what we're talking about when we talk about the domestic church. So if we look at uh, the uh, hierarchy of the church, you know, we're, when we look at uh, the, uh, the pope, the bishops, the priests, you know, what are they there for? Uh, they're there to hand on uh, our faith to us, hand on what Jesus and the apostles taught and instruct us in uh, our uh, moral matters. And so when we take that and we go, how does that apply to the family structure? You know, that's where we start really hitting what does it mean to be the domestic church? Well, that means then that uh, as parents, we need to be the first educators of our children. I think it's real easy to try and uh, let uh, Wednesday night uh, CCD, uh, let uh, Catholic schools, uh, let all of that just kind of, okay, well, that's why I send them to Catholic schools. That's why I send them to uh, youth formation on Wednesday nights so they get all that. But that's actually supposed to be secondary. Mm -hmm. You know, everything that your children are learning about the faith is supposed to come from you first. And that's so, so important because... You get a kid who goes to Wednesday night CCD, good thing. It's a great thing. But even goes to Catholic education. If they're not getting it at home, then, you know, that the, the message there is, well, this isn't really important to mom and dad. And therefore, uh, why should it really be important to me? And so that's, I think, the, the biggest thing to start off with is understanding that when we look at the hierarchy of the church and we know that they're there for our good and to help instruct us, it is our job as parents to pass that on to our kids. That's how I would start and then move into some of the other things where, you know, when we even talk about the church building itself, anybody who's listening, either look around your home or if you're driving, whatever you're doing, uh, think about your home and think about if somebody was to walk in here, does my house look like a place of worship? Does my house look like a place where somebody would walk in and go, oh, these people must be Catholic? <laughs> I kind of had a, a funny thing. Uh, and I say a lot of the things today that I, uh, I say, I say uh, first I would make um, this, uh, I would make the statement of, um, I think it was St. Paul, who said, I only boast in Christ crucified. Um, and I would say the same thing for myself. I, I don't boast about the things that I do. I only mention them because it's only through Christ and what he's done with me through my life that any of this has actually come about, that, that I have the Catholic faith even today is all because God and his grace and his mercy in my life. But uh, a couple of years ago, I had uh, all of my runners for cross country uh, come over for uh, a, a breakfast. I think it was uh, before regionals. And uh, they came in, and uh, I saw one of them wandering around. And I said, what are you looking for? And they said, we're just counting how many religious things we see hanging on your walls. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of a great moment because I was like, I, I guess I just didn't realize that there were that many. And they said, do you realize that you have, I don't remember, it was something like seven different things in just this room 
I said, I guess I didn't realize that, but yeah. that's a pretty awesome thing. I, you know, I, I feel kind of good that when you guys walk into my house, as I was saying, you walk in and you go, oh, these people must be Catholic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, taking that to what do our churches look like? That's why, I, you know, I'm so excited what um, St. Nicholas did here a couple years ago uh, with all the renovations that we have there. Because you walk in and you go, this is a place of worship. Right. This is a house of God. Mm-hmm. And you can just tell, you know. And that's one of the other things that uh, I think uh, is really important for us is, uh, you know, put up pictures of the saints, just like you would put up pictures of your family, you know. Uh, put up uh, religious uh, icon statues. Put up crucifixes. They're constant reminders when you see them of how you should be acting. You know, and I, someone once told me that uh, every crucifix that you put up in your house is like a window to heaven. That's been really good for me because there's sometimes I might be doing something that I know I shouldn't be doing. And if you look up and you see a crucifix, you go, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So maybe I should watch my P's and Q's on that. And just, you know, another really quick addition to that is we had uh, a, a, we had this uh, beautiful opportunity to have this traveling statue of Mary. Mm-hmm. And th- this is uh, something that we've been blessed with on one other occasion. And uh, with that, uh, sitting in our front living room, right as you enter, I can say that also was a great testament to me any time that uh, I might have uh, been short with my family, any time that I wasn't having enough patience with my kids, a lot of times I'd look over and here's this big four-foot statue of Mary and she's on top of a table that's about this high, you know. So she's standing taller than I am and she's looking at me and I'm going, oh, sorry, Mom. (laughs) I know better. I, I really did not handle that well. And so that's why I say it's important to have those things is because it's such a, you know, like I said, a window into heaven. It's a reminder. Every time you look around and you see one of those things, it should be an immediate, am I acting in such a way that my children are seeing this type of action and should be proud of it, should be something that when I see it in them, it's something I want them to take upon themselves. Or I'm acting in such a way that when I look around and I see those things, I got to kind of hang my head and go, mm, I don't feel so good about that one. Yeah, yeah. Hey, there's a, I think there's a Catholic comedian that jokes about all the stuff that's around and maybe it was his mother's house or something i don't know but talking about uh, some you know friends that came over and they really wanted to get something out of the f- refrigerator but they said that you know that six foot statue of mary's right there and i wasn't sure if i you know <laughs> so i mean just uh, typical some catholic humor so important so how was the domestic church formed in the early christian community uh so as i touch on that i think i might go back to because sure. um, as you speak uh, i I also would say that I bring that example up because uh, in, in my life, uh, and I've said this before to lots of people, and I, I would just want them to understand that it, it is very easy to try and do that and just think that everybody else has it. You know, look at me. I, I teach theology at the high school. Uh, I do sacramental prep at the church. Uh But that doesn't mean that uh, when I go home, my kids just automatically are being filled with all kinds of wisdom and stuff like that. When I go home, I have to make the same attempt (laughs) that everybody else does. And that's why I brought it up is because it it really is kind of very easy for me to try to do the exact same thing and and just go, you know, I I talk about theology all day long. I I talk about relationships with the couples that I'm working about. Um, I'm just kind of burned out. Um, And so it can be uh, it can be kind of a thing that just goes by the wayside where I myself forget about my own children. Uh, And so some of the things I would like to mention there, and then I'll kind of lump that in with this, is how do we form our children? Because I don't want people to get the wrong idea that we've got to sit down eight hours a day with our kids and put them through catechesis class. Okay, that sounds miserable to me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there there are obviously better ways to go about it. But one of the I think one of the first and foremost principles we should start with in forming our children is prayer. Okay? Uh, I've got a, I got a good friend 
Uh, I'm going to say good friend, Bill Mayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he feels the same or not. But, <laughs> but uh, he, he has often said, you know, you have to blanket your kids in prayer these days. If you're not doing that, there's so many attacks coming from the outside world that uh, they're going to get swallowed up by the world. And I would agree that I think first and foremost, what we have to do is form our kids in understanding how to pray. Right? If they don't have a prayer life, how are they ever going to make it through this world? Right. You know, I was thinking just on the way over here how much uh, I needed prayer and uh, said a, a prayer to St. Joseph. Uh, there, you know, what a fitting day to do that. Uh, and also, uh, for everybody who's listening, yes, I know I'm going down some rabbit holes. I do that, but I promise I'll come back up at some point. <laughs> That's all right. Um, yeah. For anybody who's been listening throughout this week, we had Father Donald Calloway on. Uh, that's amazing <laughs> that we got Father Donald Calloway uh, on here. And one of the reasons why I think it's so amazing for me personally is the men's group that I'm involved in, uh, we, we went through his book. Mm-hmm. We went through the consecration. One of the guys in my group turned around and did it a second time right away because his wife wanted to do it with him and because he loved it so much. And so I look to St. Joseph and I go, how did he do things? And if you have not heard Father uh, Calloway's talk, I would say go back and listen to it. If you've not read his book, read his book. Go through the consecration. I have an absolutely, completely 180 different view of St. Joseph now, and it's awesome. Because seeing the man that he would have had to be and the way that he led his family and the strength that he had. Uh, So one thing that I think that I would bring up that is in that is the thought that quite possibly St. Joseph was a young man and not an old man. And I know Father Calloway talked about this, but the reason why that was so good for me was because think about a guy who has consecrated himself as a perpetual virgin to Christ and Mary who has done the same. What Father Donald Calloway puts forward is we don't have some old guy who really doesn't have too many desires anyway. We've got a young strapping man who is at the peak of his physical abilities and most likely would have had very strong uh, desires, but yet is able to curb those desires for a better good. And what is that good? That good is the salvation of his family. And so when I look at that and I heard that and I was just like, oh, my goodness. Uh, for any, like I said, anybody who hasn't gone through that, read that, go through that book, do that consecration. You will get a different view of St. Joseph. You'll get a different view of how you should lead your family. And then I think that leads into uh, this question that you had asked, Ken, is uh, how was the early Christian community formed? Or how was the domestic church formed in the early Christian community? I think there's a lot of people out there that just think Jesus came Uh, And I say a lot of people, maybe there's not as many, but I know that I was kind of this way before I started actually learning Christian history, uh, that uh, believe that, you know, Jesus came, he suffered, he died, he rose to heaven, and then within a few years of the apostles going around and talking to people, Christianity was just basically um, mainstream. It, it was uh, in the system. Uh, so many people were uh, following it, and it was awesome. And, and not to say that it wasn't awesome, but people forget that for the first 300 years of Christianity, you know what they were doing? They were suffering They were being persecuted. They were being killed. They were being tortured. Uh, People often forget about, I think, the Colosseum. Right. (laughs) You know, so it's not that uh, Christianity hits the scene and then everything's just, ah. And I think we need to take that to our own lives and understand that just because you become Christian uh, or just because maybe you have a reinvigoration in your uh, Catholic faith, that doesn't mean that everything's hunky-dory now. That doesn't mean that everything's just easy street. In fact, you know, what a better time for Satan to attack than when you become on fire for the faith, right? Uh, You know, there is, uh, it's obviously not a Catholic thing, but uh, I don't know, Ken, have you ever read The Art of War? 
I have not. Okay, it's uh, so I hadn't either until I started reading it here about a year ago, and it's very, very short. It's not nearly as long as um, I thought it would be. But one of the things that I took out of that, and like I said, this isn't a Catholic document or anything like that, but there are some things I think that you can apply to the spiritual battles in this life. One of the things that I taught uh, that I took from it is uh, it says something to basically the amount of if you are close to your enemy and you're getting ready to make an attack, you want your enemy to think you're far away so that you can take them by surprise. If you're not close to your enemy and you're not prepared, you want your enemy to think that you are close and that you are poised to make an attack at any moment so that they are scared of you, that they're thinking, uh-oh, they're ready to attack. We need to be on the, on the defensive rather than coming at you, right? And so that, look at what Satan is doing, okay? In this moment, when Satan, when you, or when, uh, you might be going, yes, I have a renewed vigor, uh, I'm on fire for my faith, that's the moment when Satan wants you to think that he's far away. Because if you think that he's far away and you don't think that an attack is coming, guess what happens? When that attack hits, it's like a blitzkrieg. You have no idea where it came from. You don't know why this could be happening. You start questioning your faith again. And it can be in those times that you either just say, this is what I get for being Christian and pull back away again. Or you can grow and you can say, I knew this attack was coming. I've been warned. I knew that the devil is like a prowling lion waiting around, waiting to pounce. And now he's pouncing. What is my defense going to be? And then what is my counterattack going to be towards him? And so that's why I look to the early Christian community and I go, look at everything that they suffered. And now look to us. Okay? We, most likely, aren't going to be suffering, at least here in the United States, most of us are not going to be suffering uh, physical attacks. Uh, some people are, yes. Uh, but for a lot of us, it's not going to be the physical attack. What are we going to suffer? Uh, we're going to suffer all the ridicule. Uh, we're going to suffer, uh, when you look at some of the issues that, that we're dealing with today, you know, you look at abortion, you look at contraception, you look at so-called same-sex marriage. If you even speak out against any of those at all, all of a sudden, you're a hater. Mm-hmm. Right? You're intolerant. Intolerant. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. Those, are, those are the big buzzwords of today. Mm. And I can tell you, it can be very easily as soon as, especially if you're, you're kind of riding high, you're going, yeah, this thing is awesome. I'm going to preach the truth. And you're going along. And then all of a sudden, somebody hits you with one of those. Um, it's just a, it's a natural human thing to be like, wait a minute. What? what? No, I don't, I don't hate people. I'm, I'm not intolerant. What? what? You know, and you just get kind of discombobulated. When in fact, you should just turn it back to them and go, wait a minute, why, why do you call me hateful? Because I want to teach the truth. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody's intolerant towards something. So you're intolerant towards my uh, view. Exactly. I may be intolerant towards yours, but um, why should we not be able to talk about this and come to uh, who seems to have the truth here? Yeah. And so that's why I go back to that and say, you know, we might not be suffering the physical attacks that uh, they would have been suffering, but by golly, uh, Christians are definitely suffering a lot of mental attacks and a lot of be careful because you're going to want everybody to like you. Guess what? Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Look at Christ. And I have to remind myself of that a lot. Look at Jesus. (laughs) Lots of people that didn't like him. Uh, So why are we surprised when we proclaim the truth that some people don't like us? I think that's a great point. We need to take a short break right now, but whether you're listening via radio, computer, phone app, or smart speaker, please know. We'll be right back with more about the Domestic Church with Cody Marincer. We're back on Divine Mercy Radio. The Domestic Church. With Cody Marincer. Ken 
Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Talking about the domestic church, we're here with Cody Marinzer this morning. And Cody, one of the things that um, I, I write blogs for my my site, one of the things that I, I uh, Devin Schott, who has a, a program called Fathers of St. Joseph, with his, which is a great program. But I just want to read a couple of quotes from here that are, are so important. I think we talk about the domestic church. And again, I approach this from the angle of don't do what I did. And, and so I, that's why I'm so passionate about it right now. But he says this, he said, God knows that when the children have their human father's gaze, they will not only turn their gaze to the earthly father, but also to their heavenly father. There is an inherent, an inherent connection between the human father and God the Father. As human fathers, we are called to be a link between heaven and earth, likewise a link between God and his children. face of the father our children cannot see, the touch of the father that our children cannot feel, the voice of the father, heavenly father, now we're talking here, that our children cannot hear. So it's just a great point as, as far as how... Are our kids going to understand the love of the Heavenly Father if, there's, if, they don't, if they're not experiencing that example, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. Ken, I love having conversations with you. I love every time that you come here. Thanks for being here. When, when you ask the Holy Spirit to come upon the conversation before you enter the room, which is one of the things I did, Holy Spirit and St. Joseph, please be here with me. Don't let me mess this up. <laughs> um, but you, every time you throw something out there, it's like, oh, yes, that's some good stuff. Because what you just mentioned is something that uh, all of us should really, really, really contemplate, that when we look at the family life, what is it supposed to look like? When we keep talking about this domestic church, one of the biggest things about the domestic church is, as you said, our children are supposed to understand first and foremost how to love. And then, you know, we've obviously destroyed that word. But what does love mean? I always I just take it back to go get your head wrapped around that love means sacrifice. Okay, and so if we're supposed to if we're supposed to teach our children how to love then look at the, the greatest example we have, which is the Holy Trinity, which is an, it's, it's an eternal exchange of love. There's not a moment when Christ was not uh, right. alive, right. when Christ was not there. There's not a moment when God the Father was not there. There's not a moment when the Holy Spirit was not there. That means for since all of eternity, Jesus did not have to wait for God the Father to start pouring his love into him. It was always happening. There's not even a split second when that was not happening. And, you know, it's been said that the love between those two is so powerful that it is another person. It is the Holy Spirit. Well, when we, when we look at that, this is something that I mentioned to my couples. And I, I've, seen, I've seen several of my couples go, I've never thought of it like that before. And when, when it was kind of presented to me in this way, I had the same thought. Think about how crazy amazing it is that we as human beings become, first off, co-creators with God. If God wanted to, he could have made us as angels, right? Angels are purely spiritual beings, and so angels cannot beget more angels. Right. When we look at us, this is what's absolutely crazy. God gave us the ability in our physicality to beget other humans, and so we become co-creators with our creator. We create the physical matter. He creates the soul. And that comes together in the life of a child. And so I know that I've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning every time. When you come together with your spouse and you become a co-creator with God and you bring another child into this world, you have now created a being that never existed before and will now exist for eternity. The implications of that then are, wait a minute. Let's draw back and realize the awesome power that our creator has given to us. And what am I doing with that power? Am I abusing that power? Or am I pouring my love into that being? And so that then, when you, when you were mentioning all that, I, I agree 100%. You know, that, that's so awesome that we have this ability to create with our Heavenly Father. But then how are we representing that love? Yeah. Are we giving all of ourselves, or are we being selfish? You know, are we with our spouse? Or are we saying, I'll, I give you everything except for my, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you absolutely everything, but I don't wanna give you my procreative abilities. So let's go ahead and contracept. 
Right? That's not giving everything. That's not what the Father and Jesus do. You know, but then as I'm talking about that, some people might be like, yeah, but you're, you're, looking, to, you're looking to do something that we can't reach. We can't reach perfection. Well, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try, first off. But second off, I would say, well, then, okay, let's, let's go to a human family that maybe we could look at. Then I go back to St. Joseph. Then I go to Mary. And I go, our God, th- this is another thing that just, <laughs> our God, who's not bound by anything, made himself bound by his own creation, mm. made himself as a child, made himself to be under the rule of human parents. <laughs> what? <laughs> Do you understand how crazy that is? That our God did that for us. Now, when we look at our lives and we're whining and we're complaining, I don't get this, or this didn't go my way, or blah, blah, blah. Um, okay. <laughs> That's always a good gut check for me. You're being three right now. Let's stop having a tantrum. And remember, what did God do for us? And then also look back to the Holy Family and go, how could, how could I possibly do that? Well, ask for Mary's help. Ask for Joseph's help. Jesus is never going to be mad at you for asking his parents' help. Imagine that if someone said, no, um, I'd, I'd rather not, um, you know, it's been brought up many times, but I'd rather not know your mom. I'd rather not know your dad. Um, I'll, I'll love you, but let's leave them out of the picture. Jesus is very ecstatic when we say, Joseph, I don't know how to do this, but you had to try and raise the God man. <laughs> now think about the pressure that, wait a minute, okay, I don't have nearly that pressure. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> you know, Joseph is married to the perfect spouse, and he has a perfect son. <laughs> no wonder. Um, Father Donald Calloway points out that um, there, there have been um, saints and people throughout the church that have looked at um, Joseph's almost divorce of Mary and said, this may not have been because Joseph said, oh, she's married and it's not my kid. It's very likely that Joseph was looking at this situation going just what we just talked about. Wait a minute. I've got this lady who is perfect who has consecrated herself to God. I'm being asked to raise this child that is being brought about by the Holy Spirit. Uh, unqualified. (laughs) And so anytime you look at yourself and you go, I'm not qualified to do this, ask St. Joseph for help. Yeah, great point. Imagine what he was going yeah, through. Exactly. You know, there's, it's very interesting. A couple of things, quick notes, um, and, and I guess this, again, more leans towards fatherhood, but still, you know, do, doing prison ministry for 15 years now, one of the common threads, and 85% is the number of men in prison, never had a father figure in their life, or they didn't have a relationship with their father. Um, so that, what is that, that tells us something right there. Right there. The other thing, there was a. It was, in fact, it was on AW10 a couple. Of, well, whenever um, I got to think of his name, um, Hugh Hefner died or was dying, or after he died, I think they had an. They interviewed him beforehand, and one of the questions that was raised because I think he was agnostic. I don't think he was necessarily an atheist, but he was agnostic. And one of the questions posed to him was, "Do you think because of your?" that the lack of a relationship with your earthly father, you never knew about the heavenly father. And it stopped him in his tracks. And he said, you know, I've never even thought about that before, but there could be something to that. I mean, and and that was powerful to hear that from somebody, you know, who who lived a life the way he did. And and so you just kind of wonder about that, but but just the importance of that, you know, that the the, uh, the parents and especially fathers, um, the numbers show it. I mean, the numbers are drastic. When fathers step up and they're the, the leader of their uh, domestic church and they're plugged into the faith and doing the things they should be doing, the numbers are extreme as far as yeah. kids following through and doing the same thing. So that's so important. So give us a picture of what the domestic church looks like in today's culture. What a challenge. I mean, uh, to raise kids today, I'm just thinking there are so many things they're getting hit with. How do you 
how do you wrap your arms around that and try to protect your kids? I mean, it's got to be a real challenge. Yeah, I would go back to what I said earlier. I only boast in Christ and Him crucified. <laughs> I only boast in the cross of Christ. So in this, I think that my wife and I were at least trying really hard. It was last night. At, first off, uh, it, this goes to what I was just about to say. I think it was at dinner time last night. Uh, have meals with your kids. Uh, don't be. Don't make yourself so busy that you can't sit down. Uh, we have, you know, on on very seldom occasions do we not sit down as a family. It's uh, especially in uh, this time that this extra time that many of us have. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no reason why you cannot have meals with your kids. Now, are they chaotic sometimes? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I don't know how many times I've said, please sit in your seat properly. Uh, don't talk with your mouth full. Please don't smack. You know, trying to teach them all these just – if you ever want to go on a date, these are some things that you might want to know before the person just gets up and goes – Geez, were you raised by wolves or what? <laughs> you know? So does that happen? Yeah, it happens. Sometimes you get up from the table and go, holy cow, what just happened? Uh, but those are also times when uh, you, you can see conversations happen. It's also, as I said earlier, uh, it's one of those things where you get to teach your kids prayer uh, because Learn to say the meal prayer before every single meal. That does give you even just a little bit of time to stop and say, as hungry as I am, I, I've got drool coming out of my mouth. I can't even say the words to the prayer, right, because I'm so hungry. It does give you a little bit of time for you and your children to stop and go, okay, we can thank God and ask him to bless this food uh, before we just sit down and uh, like a pack of wolves ravage everything on the table. You know, uh, it's a good way to start prayer in the family. Yeah. But where I started with that rant was that uh, I think it was last night and my wife told our kids, she goes, you guys don't understand how sheltered you are. And she didn't mean it in a bad way. She said, that, you know, that's in a good way. Uh, with our kids, we try to, yes, they're sheltered because they don't have a whole lot of electronics. Okay? We, we haven't had a, a TV plan. We've had a couple of the, the, the free one-month trials, you know, here and there. But we haven't had a, a pay-for-TV plan for 14 years. Uh, you know, uh, there, uh, there's obviously some more electronics with school and stuff now in this uh, COVID situation that we're in. Uh, but what we try to do, you know, is keep them away from a lot of the trash that, ju- that they just don't need. But then also, on the other hand, be really open with them. So my older two boys, there are, there are some movies that um, I've sat and watched with them that I obviously haven't watched with my other kids. But we don't watch R-rated movies in our house. Uh, I think maybe I've watched one PG-13 film. And, and a, a good thing that I do is I always type in the movie that I want to watch and see if I want to watch it with them. And then I type in Parents Guide. And there are a couple of really good websites that have every category of everything you might be concerned about, profanity, sexuality, even consumerism. Mm -hmm. And it lists people who have watched it and gone through and said, this is said, this is said, this is mentioned. Uh, And so uh, I may have watched one PG-13 film with them, and it was because I went to that website and found um, it wasn't for the language, the sexuality, and other things like that. There may have been a couple things of violence or something. But yeah, you know, in ways like that, um, I even know that um, my oldest son has got made fun of sometimes because his friends have said, have you ever even seen an R-rated movie? And he goes, yeah, I think I watched The Lord of the Rings or something like that. And I don't even know if that one's rated R or not. It might be. Um, I don't think it is. But they were like, Caleb, that doesn't count. (laughs) You know, and so he's getting it now from his friends because he is sheltered. But like I was saying, we're still very open. One thing that we did watch while we had one of our um, free, I think it was Hulu. We had a month free of Hulu was we got into Lego Masters. My kids love Legos and they, 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 could, they, they can create things that are just amazing. It blows my mind what they can create. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm stuck to making the little four walled houses <laughs> that you're lucky if it looks like a house when it comes out. But when we were watching that, uh, you know, it seems like every every TV show anymore has to have a same-sex couple on it. Mm-hmm. Um, this also. 
And we didn't stop watching it just because of that. Because I, I wanted, I was a little bit concerned because, like, you know, what's going to happen? Is there going to be an outward display of an affection between them? Um, you know, um, but I, I wanted to be able to use that as a teaching moment if it did come up. And it did. At one point, there wasn't really these outward displays of uh, affection, but they talked about how they were married to one another. And I let the episode go on, and we finished watching it. And right after that, I sat my kids down, or they were already sitting down, but I stayed with them, and I said, okay, guys, um, I just want to have a conversation with you guys about marriage and what it is. And I want to talk to you about And I said, did you guys catch uh, what those two guys said about being married? And this is just the innocence of children. Uh, my third son goes, yeah, they meant that they're married to somebody else that's not on the TV show right now. And, and I said, no, that's not what they meant. And I wasn't trying to destroy their innocence. I was using it as a teaching moment. And so I went, to, I went into then talking about how they were talking about how they believe that they were married to one another. And the implications of that within our world, within our society, within our families. And the thing is, my kids get it. When you explain what marriage is supposed to be, when you explain the natural law behind it and how you can just look at uh, humanity and understand this is supposed to be between one man and one woman, at least I can say for now, my kids seem to have gotten it. And so I would say, you know, that's one way of forming children in this modern culture is I would say you don't have to and it's not good to let your kids just be subject to everything. But there are some times when you can use things that they do get subjected to as very good teaching moments. And so this is something that it can be difficult, but always be open with your kids. I hope and at least I know now my oldest son, Caleb, um, he's been pretty good at least to to what I know, <laughs> uh, but he's been pretty good about um, talking about things that do come up. Mm. Um, if I ask him, you know, what are your friends getting into? Have you been introduced to uh, pornography? Um, do, your, um, do you and your friends use foul language when you're talking? With, you know, he's pretty open to me with that stuff. And that's awesome that he is. And I hope he feels comfortable in doing that. And one thing to do is make sure that if your child comes to you with something and says, hey, I saw this today, don't blow up. You know, that's that time when you can have that open conversation, that calm, responsible conversation about, okay, you know, what did that do? Did that make you feel a certain way? Uh, did it make you feel uneasy? Did it make you feel happy? Did it make you feel empowered? You know, and, and have real conversations with your children. I'm not saying that it's always going to be easy, um, especially when it comes to um, topics of uh, human sexuality. Here's the deal. If they don't hear it from you first, it's going to be bad, mm. right? Yeah. If you are not the teacher of your child, the world will be. And the world is a really bad teacher. <laughs> no doubt. It's one of the things I, I do want to jump back to because I think it's so important is the fact that um, prayer, we talk about prayer. and Prayer is a foundation for everything. And even yeah. I don't care whether it's children, adults, it's such a foundation. And I think if we can, you know, understand that better and utilize that and really create that that life of prayer and I, I almost hate to use that term because you know we've always been warned that it shouldn't be a prayer life we should be in prayer constantly you know I mean it, um, but the point is is if when we can cr create that and have that in our lives whether we're kids whether we're adults especially I mean everybody we need to have that as our foundation and I think that's one of the most amazing things um, for people once they understand that because it really is the basis to help our spiritual life grow and really grow in the love of Christ too. Yeah, that you make an awesome point there because people – and I'm not saying I don't struggle with it at times too, but people do misunderstand prayer. When you said uh, we should be in, in prayer at all times, people are like, wait, I don't have the time to go to the chapel and be on my knee. That's the problem is you misunderstand prayer. Mm -hmm. Prayer is a conversation with God. And even if – you don't feel like, you know, I hear a lot of people, especially youth, say you know, the whole, well, I feel like it's a one-sided conversation. I never hear back from God. Sometimes that's going to happen. 
But also sometimes it might be, in my case, because you're busy talking the entire time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You think you always have to have the last say. But yeah, when you say we have to be in constant prayer, that means that uh, when you're in a situation with your family, when, when something's getting heated and you're getting frustrated, is your first instinct to let your emotions go and let that run how you're going to react? Or have you built your life in such a way that at that moment you're turning your eyes, whether it's physically and mentally or just mentally, turning your eyes towards heaven and going, God, I am so frustrated. I'm so angry in this moment. I'm about to absolutely lose it. What do I do? Because if you don't help me right now, I know in my humanness, it's not going to be good. Imagine how that changes things. God, so many of us, I think, don't don't believe that we can really be open with God. I've heard plenty of people say before, God's a big boy. He can take it. (laughs) Yes. And that's the thing is God wants to know. Jesus wants you to be honest. Jesus doesn't want you to sugarcoat things and be like, Oh, everything's just perfect today, just like every other. No, it's not. You are frustrated. You're angry. Let God know, right? Now, don't hold it against him. Don't be like, this is your fault. (laughs) You never show, you know. No, tell God the truth, but just be open then for listening to what he says. And so I would say that, uh, yeah, when you're in that constant conversation, when you're in that constant communication with God, that also then helps you to understand how to have real communication with your family. I think that's an excellent point. One of the things that, um, in fact, since we're talking about prayer, one of the questions we wanted to talk about is establishing a place for prayer in the home and how important that is. Is that something that, that you and Karen try to try to do is, is um, create a place for prayer in your home? Yeah, so I would say um, our whole home is a prayer for us. We haven't set up just one room, which can be a very, very good thing. Uh, we, ha- we don't have just a prayer room. For us, mainly, it is our living room, and that might be because fitting nine people in another area sure. is a little bit yeah. tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also, uh, that is just uh, one thing that we do is uh, our kids know that sometime throughout the day, we're saying a family rosary. It's, it's not, we're not skipping it. Okay. There have been a couple of times where we've let busyness get a hold of us, and we get to the end of the day, and we go, we haven't said our rosary yet. And it's not possible to get it in because half the kids are sleeping, and we got to put them. But we end up saying it together then or however we can do it. But yeah, our kids know that it's a priority. Um, so sometimes, yes, we need to do better. But I would say that about the home and a place of prayer is – you don't necessarily have to have a certain spot, although that is a very good thing to do. But I would say do set up a time or a specific prayer that you and your family will say every day together. It doesn't have to be the rosary. But I think it is a really good thing that even if my kids, uh, you know, God forbid, I pray that this doesn't happen. Even if they get out of high school leave the faith and say, you know what, I just just don't believe anymore. We've instilled in them that prayer is important. And at some point, like I said, God forbid, if that would happen, there might come a time when that comes back to them and they're dealing with something and they go, I don't know anything else, but I know how to talk to God. And in this moment where I'm hurting, I remember mom and dad used to sit us down every day and we'd have to say the rosary. I think maybe I'm going to try that. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And so whatever prayer it is. And I think it's also good for – this is something that Catholics need to learn, that um, uh, rote prayers are an awesome and amazing thing, which are the prayers that we just know by heart. But learning how to have that real conversation, learning how to pr- – I find that uh, I, I do this with my students – I tell them, all right, who's going to lead us in a spontaneous prayer? Mm. 
and love they it. look at me I love it. <laughs> like I just threw a bunch of snakes on the floor. You see the heads go down. You see everybody look. You can almost see the sweat coming down. I'm like, don't call me. Don't call me. Don't call me. They're like, I don't know how to do this. Like, and I always just say, just let the Holy Spirit lead you. Mm-hmm. It's not about having the perfect words. And I think that's the problem is we think that we have to come up with this uh, like perfectly formulated if i don't say the right formula mm-hmm. then god's not going to hear me or my mm-hmm. prayer no that's, that's a bunch of hooey yeah i mean just open your heart to god and pour it forth I, one thing i heard somebody talked about um impromptu prayer you know or just um that the fact that we sometimes spend so much time thinking about sounding good with that prayer that we're losing the whole focus of the prayer itself and yep. we, we completely – and I, I love that because I think it's important that we can do spontaneous prayer. I think that's great. And uh, But I think to your point, it's like you don't have to overthink it. You don't have to overdo it. Just, you know, uh, say what comes to your heart and your mind and, and just go forth and do it. And that, those, are, those are some powerful things. And so what, what would you say to somebody, since we're on prayer, maybe somebody that's uncomfortable with praying with their children or even praying with their spouse – Maybe some suggestions there. I know when we, we've talked about years ago, we used to talk about uh, the guys talked about praying with your spouse. And I thought, I don't see that ever happening. I mean, that was seemed very weird and foreign to me at the time. But what would you what would you say for people who maybe struggle with that? First, I would say welcome to the human race. <laughs> um, I don't know why. And maybe it is just because of the uh, broken relationship that we live in uh, that uh, we we are nervous. We're, we're weirded out almost. Uh, I remember when uh, my wife and I first started saying the rosary together. I would say the same thing. It, it was just kind of like, do I ask? I was almost more nervous to ask her to pray the rosary with me than I was to ask her to marry me. <laughs> and that was a really nervous moment. <laughs> I wasn't afraid that she was going to say no, but I was, you know, I just had natural nerves, sweaty. And, and so I don't know, first off, why that is, except for I would go back to what I said, is that maybe it's because we live in this world of broken relationship and we don't understand relationship properly. Um, so if we can get that right and we can understand uh, that prayer is a relationship, is a conversation, then maybe we can say, how can we have a conversation with God together right now? You know, if you were sitting in a room and Jesus was physically present there, think about your best friend, right? If you have a best friend or a couple that comes over, that's your best friend, and you're sitting around in the uh, living room talking, you don't sit with one another going, hey, do you want to talk to these people? <laughs> that would be pretty socially weird. awkward. Yeah, <laughs> It'd be pretty weird. But yet that's what we do with prayer. So I would say maybe a good thing is to imagine Jesus there really present. And how would you act? What, what would you say if he was just sitting there physically present with you? You know, invite your spouse, invite God, invite Jesus into that moment as let's have a conversation with one another. Now, that might be easier said than done, but the thing is, it only comes with practice, right? Imagine the first day of a kid on the football field. Most kids don't just run out there and go, oh yeah, I've got this. (laughs) I mean, there are some kids that are probably peeing down their leg. (laughs) They're like, look at these other guys and how big, I am gonna get killed out here, okay? but. Some of those kids, they come out to be the best athletes that they can be and the best athletes on the field. The, the, the same thing is only going to happen with us. Yes, it might be awkward at first. It might be nerve-wracking. You might be sweating. But that's never going to change. I often tell people this. There's no such thing as an easy button in life. You remember that commercial? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The yeah. Staples. The Staples easy yeah. button. Yeah. And everything all of a sudden. Wouldn't that be great, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That doesn't happen, and that might be one of the hardest lessons for people to learn is, yeah, well, I'll start taking my faith seriously when I get out of high school. Um, it doesn't just automatically happen. Yeah, well, I'll get a prayer life uh, maybe in a couple years. It doesn't just happen. There is no easy button. The only way to make it happen is if you start now. But I would also caution, 
don't just jump in and say the rosary. Right? If you've never prayed before and you jump in and you go, I'm going to say the whole rosary. Okay, well, that's, that's a good and lofty goal, but quite possibly you're going to go, wow, this is long and cumbersome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right? Just start with a simple prayer and move from there and keep practicing. We've got about a minute left before we need to wrap up. Any final comments or something that comes to mind you want to make sure you mention before you head out? Yeah, I would just say that love in the family. Remember, always remember that love is sacrifice. One of the things that I fight, and I guarantee other people fight it too, is selfishness. Okay, We want to, whether it's at the, the end of a long day and we, we're exhausted, we want to come home and we want to just go, I'm just going to veg. Okay, Here's what I find. When I'm selfish, I'm cranky. I don't respond well to my children. I have less patience. When I am selfless, when I am giving of myself, I'm happier. I'm more patient. I'm more at ease. My prayer life factors into that. When I have a good prayer life, when I've gone to confession, I see all those things get better. I see myself becoming a more joyful person. And it's crazy because our world has taught us you need to do everything that brings you pleasure in the most mm-hmm. amount. Yeah. I find the more that I give, the more joy I receive. Mm-hmm. But yet, remember, I also fight every day being selfish. Yeah. <laughs> so love is sacrifice. Keep it up. All right. Cody, it's always great to have you in and appreciate your insight this morning. And uh, have an awesome day today, and God bless you. You too. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for tuning in to One Body Stewarding God's Creation. If you're a business that can help support this One Body show, please know you'll receive three underwriting spots per show, and the show runs five times a week. Plus, you'll be listed as a sponsor on the One Body page of Divine Mercy Radio's website. If interested, please call me, Donetta, at 785-621-4110. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 88.1 KVDM Hayes, 88.1 KRTT Great Band, and KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg and Salina. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. God's creation.